Welcome to FMH InsureCast, a podcast created by Farmers Mutual Hale, designed to deliver expertise and insights from trusted FMH team members and industry experts. Each new episode will dive into new products, industry updates, and innovative solutions. Let's get to today's topic. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. I'm Ryan Bennis, and today we're talking about making crop insurance decisions for 2024, including what's new to consider and how to choose coverage and how crop prices are trending. So I'm excited to have a new guest to the show today, Cody McDowell. Cody, how are things going? Hey, Ryan, thank you for having me on today. Actually, things are going pretty good in Kansas for the most part. Things are looking up a little bit. A little background about myself. Uh, I'm Cody McDowell. I'm the strategic account manager in Kansas. I reside in Salina, Kansas, and I've been employed with FMH now. I think this is going on 18 years. And once again, Ryan, thanks for having me on board. Yeah, perfect. Nope. Great intro there. Um, We're going to get right to it, but I want to level set where we're at here. It's February the 8th. And amazingly enough, it's over 60 degrees today in Iowa, which is about 30 degrees above average. And I'm sure everybody else is having a warm day today. So all the snow that we got a few weeks ago is, is basically gone at this point. Uh, but that said, we are now eight days into our pricing period. And at least as of right now, our prices on corn are 476 and beans are 1174. Uh, and a big theme, Cody, that we're going to talk about is how much that has affected our crop insurance guarantees. I assume that's been a topic that you've been talking about at your update meetings and and now farmer meetings as we get into it here. That's correct, Ryan. That's a hot topic, I think, everywhere around the country right now. Is Unfortunately, with Kansas, we've had a little bit of drought coming into play the last few years, and now we're talking about doing lower prices. And so it's getting harder for these producers to essentially cover their input margins and with the lower prices it's just making it tougher to do that no doubt and i know just doing some quick math we've mentioned this on the on the podcast already before but just with these current prices we're two hundred dollars an acre down on guarantees for corn and over a hundred dollars an acre down on guarantees for soybeans um our last gasp of hope maybe uh, just went by today we had the WASDI report today and it was not a positive report for prices. I don't think the prices have shot down much further, but there wasn't anything in that report that was going to be uh, bullish going forward in the next three weeks here. So with that, uh, trying to br- bring me some sunny news from Kansas, Cody, well, what, what, what positive things are, are happening there? I can't help you really on the price as much as you're aware with the lower prices that we're looking at for 2024 here. But, you know, as bad as things were, you know, 2022 was not good for a big portion of Kansas. 2023 ended up even actually turning out worse. That drought line walked itself a lot further uh, east than it typically does. But the good news is over the last month, you know, we've had a lot of snow that's come into play throughout the state. That's something we typically have not got a lot of the last couple years. Then we got in some really cold temps for a while that I'm sure that you're more aware of than up in Iowa for a while. Then it went into a rainier pattern and a lot of areas in Kansas have picked up anywhere from a half to an inch and a half of rain in the last rain system that went through here about a week ago. 
So in all honesty, we still don't have a full moisture profile, but we look tremendously better than we did a year ago. So there is a little optimism, I think, on that front right there from as far as how the wheat stands today. I know awesome. we're still typically a long ways away from harvest, but as of today, things at least look a little bit promise, a little more promising than they did in 23. Awesome. Well, that's good. A little silver lining there as we, as we get into the. I try, I try to bring a little sunshine to the show. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. Well, I'm going to bring the dark cloud back in here. Um, so wheat's in the ground. We made those decisions on wheat last fall. But as we talked about, prices are down. Input costs, not down, not, at least not down nearly as much as what our commodity prices are. Is that the same thing you're seeing in Kansas as well? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, just kind of talking about wheat, since that's what we currently got planted, you know, we're about a 17% drop from 23 going into 24. So on top of the lower prices, the input costs have moderated a little bit, but still not down to the levels that they were three years ago. So those, those higher input costs are sticking around with us this year again. So Cody, we, we understand that we're going into the spring sales closing date now. And we know guarantees are down. Input costs haven't changed that much in your neck of the woods. Are you hearing agents and farmers talking about doing anything different with crop insurance in 24, possibly buying higher levels of coverage? Yes. Yeah, actually, you know, in Kansas, we typically don't cover those higher insurance guaranteed levels like they do in the high states. So there is a lot of room for movement with producers in Kansas. You know, 70 level, 75 level is pretty common still in the state of Kansas. So I think these producers, especially with the input costs, the way that they're hanging on to this year, are looking to maybe look at jumping up a level or two, just kind of depending on what their portfolio looks like to help to try to cover some of those margins with the inputs. You know, some of the other products I know they're looking at is some of the SEO products and stuff because Typically here in Kansas, we've never been a big county plan kind of a state like they have been out east where a lot of those states are a lot more familiar with those county plans. I'm seeing along with those county plans that, you know, the Kansas producers are getting a lot more familiar with them. So there's a lot of a big uptick this year, you know, and are from last year as far as policies that were bought then. And I think we can continue to kind of see that trend going forward for quite some time. Yeah. And I, just so I'm clear, you're, you're talking county plans. You're talking about those endorsements, right? ECO and SCO on Correct. the top end. Yeah. And I think for your area, one thing that's crucial about those that's different from the old area plans is that you get to keep your underlying plan. We don't have to give that up. We don't have to rely entirely on the county. So that's really opened up the areas that ECO and SCO are, are popular in. And I did run some numbers, Cody. You might be surprised to know. But Kansas is the fourth uh, ranking state when it comes to the volume of SCO sold. So, yeah, that actually does not surprise me at all, Ryan. Uh, Like I said, you know, at first we were a little slow to catch on, but those policies ever increase every year. And if frankly, if you've had them the last two years, they've been pretty rewarding and just prove that there is a point for them in crop insurance as a risk management tool. Awesome. So are you seeing more SEO, more ECO, and 
are folks buying up and then buying those or are they just choosing ECO or SCO to go on top of what they're currently buying? Currently, it's it's a pretty broad mix what we got in Kansas actually going on. ECO is still the one that lags a little just because the premiums get up a little higher than a lot of guys are still uh, comfortable with spending. SEO is the one that I see that's really had a nice uptick with it. And typically, there are a lot of the guys that are 70 might go to a 75 level and then start looking at attaching that SEO onto it from there. So that's pretty commonplace. Even some guys just looking going 75 to 80 in their own levels and maybe foregoing the SEO is also some common, you know, theories for this year. But like I said, if you've had either one of these products and just kind of looking back at our wheat where we started 24 with, and even today's current prices that we're seeing on the board, it's about 17% down. Mm. So if you had ECO, if you raise your production guarantee, essentially, you're still looking at a, a max liability payout with the ECO side. Gotcha. Very interesting. Uh, Cody, you're in a unique spot there where you have a lot of irrigation. And I'm curious, um, you know, Kansas isn't the only place that has irrigation. How are you and agents and farmers there framing this choice of ECO and SCO when you have both irrigated and non-irrigated acres? Um, I'm curious about that. I I think I hear from the outside looking in that the con- the concerns usually about the non-irrigated acres and, but we have to buy it on all, right? We still have to buy it on all of our acres. So how do agents and farmers handle that by you? Well, it's like you said, Ryan, I mean, I think if it was up to the producers, if they could just buy it on the dry land and leave it alone, it would probably be a lot more popular product because, you know, with the control over the water situation with the irrigated, it does make it a little tougher sell. Uh, you know, something that you can do with it is you got your price election coverage that you could drop that back on your irrigated, trying to, you know, capture some of that to try to cheapen that premium up that way versus your dry land. But, you know, it's something that I like to remind producers of that this is a revenue product too. And so even though you're not really worried maybe about the bushels as far as on the irrigated, the revenue still comes into play at the end. And so I think that's still a very strong point. If you look over the last couple of years and what the revenue's done from our projected price to our harvest price, it, it still makes a very good case for having it even on the irrigated side. Yeah, no, I hundred hundred percent agree. Um, but I, I was curious how how folks looked at it out there because we have that requirement, and I I know those those folks that are underwater feel like they're invincible sometimes, except for the uh, the old white combine out there, right? Yeah, exactly. You you can't help when it shows up. But like I said, the irrigated guys are a little tougher sell. But, you know, I think everybody does just truly forget about the revenue component that still comes into play with those products. And I don't think you can take your eye off the ball for just that reason alone, that it's a very viable product still. And like I said, the past two years, it if you've had it, it's been rewarding. And I would throw out this too. I think it might be more true of, of those dry land acres, but I think there's a, a fear from the farmer to market bushels before they have them, right? Yes. And when we have SCO and ECO, we have price protection during the growing season, right? Mm-hmm. During that period of time where it's uncomfortable to make sales because we don't know what that production will be. And so if you fall into that camp where, it's hard for you to make that sale in May and June that 
that time frame. Everybody tells you to go ahead and sell in May and June, right? But you don't know if you got a crop yet. SEO and ECO do a good job of setting a price floor, so to speak, um, where that can be a marketing plan of sorts if you have a tough time pulling the trigger. Um, it's not a total replacement of a marketing plan by any means, but it's something that can help those price drops that happen during the growing season. Yes. Um, it just kind of, I think, adds a little assurance to those guys that are in that mid-year marketing period, you know, by having that product, exactly like you said, that they're a little unsure on what they're truly going to produce at that point, but yet they got the revenue side that's still adding that price support into the picture for them. Awesome. All right. Now, uh, another thing that makes your area a little unique, but again, applies to other um, other areas as well is that you guys have really three major crops and, and, and more, more so than Iowa. I mean, Iowa, it's rare to see anything but corn and beans, right? You guys at least have wheat. You have a little bit of sorghum, a little bit of cotton even, right? Yeah. Um, and all of those uh, go into the mix here. And we talked about it earlier that you have seen some increase in the interest in SCO. But as we've talked about on this podcast before, the ARC County program and the PLC programs have both um, matured as prices have gone higher. And now that prices have actually started to go the wrong direction. Those programs are a little bit more relevant, right? And so when we're thinking about SCO, we have that requirement that says we have to be enrolled into the PLC program. And so then it becomes, okay, do we need the ARC County program, which is free at FSA, or do we purchase SCO? And then we talk about base acres versus planted acres because that's the, the base acres is what was used at our, uh, on our county program. SCO is what we're going to use under insurance. But we have a much different conversation about base acres when we have more than just two crops. So I'm curious how you guys have talked through that um, strategically with agents and farmers. Yeah, just like you said, Ryan, you know, typically most of our producers here in Kansas, we're rotating at least three, a lot of times even four crops as you go, you know, between the wheat, the grain sorghum, the soybeans, the corn. And so there's a lot of times that our base acres do not line up with our current plantings at all. I mean, in central Kansas, you've seen some of the areas that have really pulled back on wheat and on the grain sorghum. And so there's a lot of farm numbers we got sitting out here that truly have zero base acres available for it. And so that's still a very good argument on why SCO is a very viable product, just because it truly reflects your current plannings today. Right. And a lot of farmers, I don't think really understand, or that I should say they don't understand, they just don't think of how it ties back to the base acres and only paying 85% off those base acres. So I try to encourage all producers that, hey, if you go to farmers.gov, you can access your base acres through the FSA program right there. Get in there and kind of see what your base acreage availability is and then kind of look at it compared to, the, to your current plannings that you're looking to do this year and just see how it lines up. You know, like you said, with the ARC price now getting more relevant to today's current price that we got with crop. There's still going to be a big uptick, I think, in some of the ARC acres enrolled, but SCO is still very relevant in a lot of areas where these guys just are way off on their base acres compared to actual true uh, plannings for 24. 
Right. And I think just kind of to wrap, put that in a, in a bow here, you guys have more crops. So your base acres are just chopped up more, right? Exactly. Uh, you're going to have the same total number of acres uh, on average as anybody would be in say Iowa, but Iowa's splitting those base acres between two crops. You guys are splitting them between three or four or five even. Um, and there's yeah. other places in the country that, that are in that same boat and it takes away the value of, of our County when, um, when we don't have as many base acres of corn in particular. Yeah. And uh, you know, you just see a lot of producers still that might have five, 600 acres of grain sorghum base out there. And truly their plantings this year, as Kansas has continued to shift more to corn and soybeans, as we get along, as we go along, you, you typically will see that they might only have really a hundred acres they plan on planting this year, but still got maybe a four or 500 acre base on their grain sorghum. So it, it just adds more validity that there's still a purpose for SCO and why it's important in today's farm operation. All right, Cody, I got a tough one for you. I'm an, I'm an agent that you work with and you came to me last year and we talked about SCO. I thought it was a good idea. And so I got my farmers on board with it. Um, but now I got to sign them up again. And I don't know if they've gotten a payment or not. How do we navigate that? How do we talk through that? And uh, tell me what you tell me what you do in that spot, Cody. Yeah, you know, there's a couple different ways to kind of come up with a good idea, at least for those numbers. You know, some of our big crop insurance agents got a really good handle on what that production actually is in the county. And so they're doing some good estimates, at least with the producers then on, hey, this is where we think. Because, you know, keep in mind, we got to wait a while for those official numbers to come in. But here's where we think that's going to kind of lie. And that kind of helps in, you know, in selling that product again. Because just like you said, having to sell it the second year without even really getting to see the performance on the first year, it's a tough sell. The only thing I will say that as bad as Kansas has been this past year, a lot of guys got a pretty good idea that performance of it. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's looking to pay out in most of our counties. Northeast Kansas is still the outlier where they still come up with and hit their APHs for the most part. But a lot of these other counties are looking at full payments. So it's a little easier to sell, I think, even in our area this year, because a lot of guys got a pretty good idea that, yeah, th this is going to pay out the liability on that side. So most of them are not that hesitant to lining up. It, it, it gets back more to that ARC SEO discussion than it really does, you know, that I got to wait on, you know, the official numbers coming that following June. Mm -hmm. Right. And we do internally here, we kind of collect production as it's coming in. So we have a, a ballpark number. Now we're just one of several AIPs out there. So we're only going to get the numbers that are reported to us. But um, I do know that's something that, you know, if you want to check in with us and see what numbers are looking like, we can give you a ballpark. But of course, you got to take that with a grain of salt. Um, good. All right, Cody. So we have all these federal options yet. We can buy higher levels of coverage to, to cover this change in input costs and or uh, commodity prices. Input costs stay the same, right? Um, but we also still, you live in Kansas where hail and wind are quite prominent. Um, do you think that farmers will end up putting more premium towards the federal side, towards the guarantee 
or do you see them do you see them pulling back from those hail and wind plans at all or is this just we're adding coverage to the to the guarantees to our federal multi-parallel side and we're leaving the hail and wind alone what do you what do you think is going to be the trend out there well i think just due to the last two years we've been a little unique our hail sales have been way off in the state of kansas I mean, just with the record drought that we were in, we just haven't been selling the hail levels that we typically have been in the past. So I think for the most part, producers are looking at putting a little more money to the multi-parallel, at least initially, to help kind of get over those higher input costs that they're dealing with today. But, you know, if we can keep some rain coming in the pattern, the wheat right now has got the best chance that it's had in two years. If we continue on that same path, I think we're also going to sell more hail than we typically have in the last couple of years. So I think it's still a very viable option for the hail. It's just, unfortunately, we need mother nature to help us out and keep the rain coming to help get some of those good yields into play where guys want to go ahead and cover that top end. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, I, I can't really get my, a feel for it myself. I do hear a lot of uh, agents talking about adding SEO, ECO, or some private add-ons that get us higher levels of coverage. Um, but I haven't really heard them say, Hey, we got to swap this for that or anything like, you know, of that sort. So hail and wind replant, I'm sure we'll still have plenty of that sold out there. But what would you, what would you say to somebody that came to you and said, what should I do? Cody, I only got, I only got uh, $45 worth of a budget because I'm trying to keep my input costs low. Where would you, well, how would you navigate telling them which, uh, which, bucket to put their premium into are we putting more into the federal side or more into the hail and wind side in in 24. i i think still very very valiantly that for the most part i would put my money in where the multi-parallel side is at least initially you know then we can kind of go down the road most of these guys out here typically ryan they 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 like to wait till that april time frame with the wheat and then as that wheat continues to look you know if you think you got a good shot of really outgrowing your aph which typically can happen in Kansas with some of our, you know, underperforming years in our database. Once you see that you got a good chance of over overperforming that APH, that's when I think the crop hail comes mm. into real play with it. Same way going back to kind of your irrigated dry land discussion. Those guys are the ones that some of those guys really like to drop that coverage back on their irrigated crops. And then they'll go ahead and spend that additional dollars on essentially the hail products maybe some wind products there just because, you know, for the most part, they can control the water. They know they can get the yield, but they still cannot control that darn hailstorm. The great white combine coming through <laughs> is still awful hard on us in, in, in years out here that we've had in Kansas. And, and unfortunately, our rates are just not that cheap because of it. And so it does make it a tough decision on what to do with some of the crop hail and wind. But I think that's why our guys typically wait just a little longer you know, to see what those yields are going to be like, see what that stand takes off like before they really start pulling the trigger. But it's a very viable product still. And I think we will sell more of it. Like I said, as long as things sure. keep going weather-wise. No, that's an interesting concept. Uh, I never thought about it that way. But uh, yeah, wait to see if we're going to blow our APH out of the water. Then it makes a lot more sense to buy that hail and wind coverage. If that's not going to happen, we can just lean on that multi-parallel and roll yeah. the dice. So exactly. Okay. Um, well to kind of wrap that up, <clears throat> this is just something I picked up when we're out there talking with agents 
you know, I think you alluded to it, probably putting more money in that federal bucket this year and a little bit more of a wait and see mode, maybe on the, on the hail and wind side. Um, as we do that, whenever we're buying more multi-parallel insurance, we're, we're literally raising our floor and we're lowering our ceiling, right? As we invest more into insurance, our costs are going higher. So we're lowering the ceiling, but we've also set a higher floor. So if things go against us, um, you know, we're going to be protected sooner. And so in a year like this, Cody, I'm going to ask you this. I, I'm, I'm not trying to lead you with this question, but I'm curious. What is more important in a year with tight margins? Is it more important to have a high ceiling where we're going to try and capture as much revenue as possible? Or is it more important to have a high floor and, and in essence, buying more insurance to set our floor higher? What would you what would you say? Well, you know, just like you kind of mentioned there with our current situation that we've had the last two years and unfortunately not very good yields and then going into a low price scenario, I, I think it's really important for these guys to cover that floor side. You know, just like you said, with the input costs going higher, eight plus percent operating notes that are coming into play in, a, in the higher interest rate environment we are, I think it's absolutely critical to cover that input cost and covering your margin essentially than it ever has been. Because there's a lot of guys that are, you know, they're on their third bus crop out here in a row pretty easily. And so you got to get your costs covered in looking into your marketing plan. I think that's absolutely critical. I know it lowers that ceiling a little bit, but hopefully it's going to allow you to continue to farm down the road because if we don't truly get out of this pattern, we it happens again, just more and more guys are getting, unfortunately, uncomfortable with financial conditions. I mean, because it's a tough environment right now with lower prices, higher interest rates, and still higher inputs. No, excellent. Um, well, I don't think we're anywhere close to being Kansas here in Iowa, but I looked at the drought monitor this morning and there's two big blobs right over the Midwest. One of them still sitting over Kansas. That one's been there for a while. And there's a big old blob over, uh, over Iowa right now, particularly Eastern and Northeastern Iowa has been very dry. So hopefully that doesn't mean that it's moving further, further East here, but, uh, we just never know. So Cody, I will give you the last word. Any last words you would uh, have for farmers and agents out there? You know, just my recommendations this year, please contact your, your crop insurance agent, get with them, let them show you all the options. Ask about SCO, ECO, if you haven't heard about it yet, because the past performance of these products alone, the last couple of years have been really rewarding. Hopefully, maybe if we get in some average yields, we won't need them. That's my goal for this year is maybe not to, for everybody to have to deal with their crop adjuster. Uh, I think that'd be a good break for everyone, whether you're an agent, whether you're an adjuster, either way across the board. But the main thing is just sit down, know what your input costs are, know what it's going to take to cover them. And then hopefully you can find that sweet spot where you're comfortable spending X in premium to try to get that covered. I think that's just really important for operators to know exactly what they're going to have in that crop per an acre and what's it going to take to cover it. Cody, normally I would just go back through and sum up all of our points here, but I think you just nailed it, man. <laughs> so well, hey, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> 
No, thank you so much for joining us today, Cody. I really appreciate your perspective out there, a little different than than here in Iowa and the Eastern Corn Belt. So appreciate your point of view. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure and subscribe on your podcast app that you use and look for us on YouTube as well as we're adding more video episodes there uh, with every episode we do on the InsureCast. So thanks again for listening and we will chat at you again later. You've been listening to FMH InsureCast. We appreciate you joining us today and would like to hear from you. If you have questions about today's topic or an idea to share for an upcoming podcast, you can contact us at fmhpodcast at fmh.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast is intended for information purposes only. See policy provisions, terms, and conditions for details. Products underwritten by Farmers Mutual Hail Insurance Company of Iowa and its affiliates, West Des Moines, Iowa. Farmers Mutual Hail is an equal opportunity provider.